0: Thank you for joining us. You are listening to a ministry of Crossview Church with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle.
1: All right, open your Bibles today to James chapter four. That's right, James chapter four. If if you've been with us all summer long, uh, since June, the first Sunday in June, we've been on this journey through the book of James. We've been discovering what does James have to say to us as Christians today. Uh, and I've been trying to t- encourage you and teach you guys that of all the New Testament books, James is really one of the most practical how to live as a Christian in a very cultural or sexual, sexually, sexually, that is weird, Secu- secular, sexually driven world. I just throw it in there because that's true. That's totally true, right? I just throw it in there. Apparently, the Holy Spirit wants me to say that. Uh, very much about... All about culture and about, it goes against everything that we believe as far as Christians. And how do we live as Christians and be counter-cultural? How do we stand and become who Christ wants us to become? We're going to look different. We're going to act different. We're going to behave different. We're going to make different choices because that is who Christ has called us To be, if we look like everybody else who doesn't go to church, if we act like everybody else who doesn't go to church, if we we behave like everyone else, talk like everyone else who doesn't go to church, what's the difference? And James says this is not the way it should be. If you are a Christ follower, you should look different, act different, behave different, talk different, and the lifestyle that you have should look different than those who are not Christ followers. This is what James is telling us. most practical book you're going to find. And James basically he gives three key thoughts or three things he focuses on. He talks about listen as a Christ follower, you're going to face persecution. You're going to be made fun of. You're going to be mocked and you're going to be scoffed and People are going to tell you you're legalistic and they're going to tell you you're too religious. If you're a Christ follower, you are going to be persecuted because you're going to look different. That's what he says the first thing. Second thing he says, don't fear when it happens. Because it happened to Jesus. Jesus was crucified because he was different than everybody else. Jesus was killed because of his differences of culture and religious people that tried to tell him he was wrong. And the last thing it says, he says, whatever you do, persevere. Persevere through the trials, persevere through the challenges, because in the end, you are living a life for Jesus, not a life for them. Who is James. Remember who James is? James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, He was around when Jesus was uh, doing his stuff. He saw Jesus do his thing and live his life, uh, which speaks of very encouraging. He is uh, taught writing to Jewish Christians, people who were Jews but have converted to Christianity, and trying to help them understand what that life is is all about. And so we've been covering lots of different things. If you've missed any, you go back and watch them. It's called Unshakable Faith on our online series. You go online, you can go to our, our YouTube or Facebook, look up any sermon said Unshakable Faith, Unshakable. It has all the, all the series we've been talking about. We talked about the marks of a mature person, what a mature person looks like, how does a mature person behave, how to persevere through problems. We talked about how to make up your mind, how to uh, have the Bible bless your life, how to treat people right, how to have real faith and what real faith looks like. And and last week was, uh, uh, we talked about how to manage your mouth, and last week was how to be wise. Today is another doozy. It's another one of those that I, as I prepared, I went, yay, James. Should have skipped this book altogether. Because today is... How to avoid arguments. Truth talk. How many of you in this room today are going to be honest with me today and say, in the last 24 hours, you had an argument with someone? Or in some of you, it might be something, because some of you argue with a car when you work on it, or a house, or electric, or whatever. Someone or something. How many of you guys would be honest enough to say, in the last 24 hours, you had an argument with someone or something? Raise your hands up. high. Some of you had an argument on the way to church today. You know, you're late. You're going to make us late. We're always late because of you, right? Wife came and asked you the most unfair question in all the world. Does this outfit outfit make me look fat? And you hesitated far too long to give that answer, right? (laughs) This is part of of life. Arguments just seem to kind of be in the fibers of life. Uh, What is it about this this thing called arguing? Um, We do it all the time. Parents to kids, kids to parents, in-laws and outlaws and all the laws and laws. Uh, Arguments everywhere. Uh, We argue with our boss We argue with our co-workers, our employees. We argue with our friends. We argue with our family. There seems to be a lot of arguments everywhere we go. But James chapter 4, verse 1, let's just jump into today. Our key verse for today that's going to kind of launch us into today's thought is this. Here's what James chapter 4, verse 1, James just gets into. He He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What a great question. What a great question to start off our day. Why did you fight with who or whatever you fought with in the last 24 hours? What's surprising if you statistically would ask people, within a week's time, what did you argue about? They would say, well, we know we had an argument, but we don't know what it was about. Why? Because what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? us. So James is saying, listen, the problem is me. No, no, no. Come on, James. James got to be wrong here. Because I see a problem with everybody else, but not me. Right? I see a problem with everybody else's perspective, not mine. I see a problem with everybody else's decision, not mine. It doesn't have to do with me. It has to be because of them. And this is the root issue of what James is going to talk about today. The problem and how we avoid argument is we first have to deal with me. Bow your heads to me today. Father, help us today to hear from your word, not just to hear from it, but to be changed by it, transformed from it. Uh, God, may we see the causes of arguments and may we see the cure of arguments and how we move forward in our life, God, to be a peaceful person Everywhere we go, as far as it depends on us, may we live at peace with one another. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. So the first thing that out the shoot that we have to deal with here is the who. Who is the reason why the arguments are a part of our life? And like I said before, it's real easy to blame somebody else. It's real easy to point the finger to somebody else. It's real easy to say it's your fault or it's her fault or it's their fault and never take the blame. But here's what the first thing I want to tell you. The cause of arguments is this. It comes from conflicting desires inside of us. Summary, the reason why we argue is because we have a desire and it conflicts with somebody else. What we want is not what they want. And because they don't want it, They're wrong, we're right, and so I'm gonna argue with you till I get my way. This is what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires inside of you? Yes, absolutely. Conflicting desires. I don't see eye to eye with you, so therefore I'm going to fight to get my way. Conflict is in us. Conflict belongs to us. I meet with couples often about premarital, and we talk about marriage, and we talk about all the things that marriage holds. And I'll sit across the room from this young couple, might be an older couple. Older couples, not so much, pretty much young couples. Young couples sit there, and oh, they're so in love. They're so in love. And I say, oh, what do you guys, what what do you love about each other? And they'll go on for minutes, and Maybe I'll just shut them down and be like, that's enough. I get it. You love them. Great. What don't you like? What bothers you about them? Nothing. They are perfect in every way. And I just sit there, and, oh, God help them. Help them, Lord. In every relationship that there is, there, in every, in, including the, the young couples, the, the first is the honeymoon phase, stage one honeymoon Oh, everything's bliss, everything's good. Man, I mean, their breath don't even smell in the morning. It's awesome. They could eat anchovies the night before, or drink a cup of milk to wash it down, and get up the next morning after it fermenting all night long and I'll smell their breath and it smells so good. I'm so in love with them, right? Then stage two kicks in. A Little while later, Maybe a year, maybe two. I don't know. It could be shorter. It could be longer. I don't really know. The honeymoon's over. Stage two. They ain't all they cracked up to be. Somebody lied to me. <laughs> they caught they me. I'm a sucker. They got me. They, they fooled me. And all of a sudden, that anchovy milk breath, brush your teeth before you step foot in bed and don't talk to me for three hours after you wake up in the morning. That thing smells horrible. Right? week later, your breast still smells like anchovies. What's going on here? Right? Honeymoon's over. Then then you get to stage three. Stage three is how are we going to survive together? How are we going to make it work? Because we're in this thing. We're committed. We made a commitment, a vow between me and God. So how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it last? And then becomes the compromise. And then becomes the real work that needs to happen. That's, That's not just in marriage. That's in every relationship. Think about all your friendships. Think about all your family. Think about that. Think about all your family. I get it. You don't really get to pick your family, but you do have to learn how to live and co-live with your family, your extended family, and get along as conflict-free as you possibly can. And my goodness, is it hard to do those. Why? Because conflicting desires are inside of us all the time. They're always trying to make their appearance known. There's three desires I want to talk to you about today that have to do with this conflicting desires that kind of summarize them. Three uh, legitimate desires. I believe, I would even say this. These three desires are even God-given desires. The problem is we try to meet them in a ungodly way, and when we try to meet them in an ungodly way, they become unhealthy and toxic. So let's talk about the desires, and we're going to kind of work through The verses, verse 1 through 10, we're going to kind of work through them now as we go through this. The first one is this. The first conflicting desire is, you have in notes, write this down, it's the desire to have, the desire to have possessions, things. This is the number one conflicting desire that I think many of us as humans and as Christians even struggle with, the desire to have possessions and things. I want you to understand this today, that God created things for you to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy things. God is not up in heaven saying you can't enjoy that. Don't enjoy that boat. Don't enjoy that car. Don't enjoy that house. Don't enjoy those clothes. God's not up there saying, no, no fun, no laughter. No, no, no. God does want us to enjoy things. He wants us to have things, enjoy things, but he doesn't want things to have us and control us and lead our life. Here's what James chapter four, uh, 4 verse 2 says. It says, you want what you don't have. You want what you don't have. You covet or so you kill. You covet but you do, cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. God created all things for us to enjoy as long as they're in balance with who God is. I often think to myself, I'm a pretty content guy, pretty satisfied. I mean, I don't really spend a lot of money on clothing, as you can tell if you've come here for any amount of time. I don't really spend a lot of money on any attire, or anything like that. I I just kind of, I'm a pretty basic kind of person. But I didn't know I needed something until I watched the infomercials on TV, Right? I did not know I needed my slippers until he told me, good Christian man, told me I needed my slippers, Then I want, and they're half off right now while supplies last, right? My pillow. I got to have my pillow. Why? Because it's mine. It's my pillow, right? It, we don't realize what we, what we don't have or what, we, what we're missing until we've Somebody tells us, I did not realize that I needed another car until I had a buddy get a car, and then I was dissatisfied with my hunk of junk, right? Why? Because the desire to have, the conflicting desires that come within us, and it causes all kinds of chaos and all kinds of problems. In America, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but in our world today, it's more life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness, That's more what America is today. Howard Hughes was asked, who was the wealthiest man on the planet, who had all the wealth that you can imagine, had any tours that he wanted, any toys he wanted, any houses he wanted, any food he wanted. He had it all. And they said, Howard, when is enough enough? When have you gained enough? And he said, I just need a little bit more, the desire to have See, there's a thrill, young people hear me today. There's a thrill in new things in there? just for all of us. There, there's an endorphin, that, a, a dopamine that we get through shopping. Can we just be honest with it? We do. We get excited to buy new stuff, we get excited to, to, to uh, go and get new things and look nice in them and maybe, maybe really show off what we have. We, de- we, have a, we have a desire to do that, and many times we can't afford it, so what do we do? Charge it, take a loan for it. Why, I gotta have it. I didn't know I had to have it, but I gotta have it now. So give it to me now, it's mine, and far, Many times what happens is before we ever pay that off, before we ever get it paid off, it's broke, it's burnt out, it's wore out, and the thing that we're paying off is not even to be seen, the desire to have. Oftentimes if it gets out of balance with what God wants, we miss the bigger picture. Uh, Ask yourself a question. Are you ever satisfied? you ever content? Or you just need one more? You just need one more pair of shoes. I just need one more outfit. I just need one more car. I just need a newer car. I just need one more. Ask yourself the question, are you ever satisfied? Are you ever content? If the answer is no, then you have the conflicting desire to have. Second thing that we have desire of, not just desire to have, but the desire to feel. The desire to feel. This is pleasure. This is a conflicting desire. If we're not careful, it's a conflicting desire. Verse 3 says, You want only what you what get, will give you pleasure. You want what only will give you pleasure. First Timothy 6:17 says, God made everything for our enjoyment. So when I did youth ministry, and I've been in youth ministry for many, many years, I love teenagers, I love young people, I love uh, that age group, even though I'm well past that within two or three years, um, I enjoy that age group, and always have, always really loved them, and, and I remember I, every February, I would do True Love Waits series, it was all about sex, and I told the kids, I shocked them, man, parents, you would have loved me, or you would have hated me, I don't really know, but I remember I said, guess what, guys, sex is awesome, it's amazing. And they're like, what? I like this guy, he's awesome. And I said, when sex is in the confines of God's intention for the pleasure it's meant to be, that's what makes it awesome. I didn't like that so much. Chelsea, you were there. <laughs> but this is, this is, this is true. God created pleasure for us to enjoy within the confines of what glorifies a Christian marriage. So this is why it's so imperative that young people understand there's power in the joy and the beauty of that act when done in a godly way that glorifies God with your body. And that is when you say, I do. And it's I do forever. And all the parents right now should be applauding me and saying, preach on, Pastor Kevin. That is actually right, what you need to say. I'll wait. Because the virtue of America, the virtue of our teenagers have been raped because they've been told it's nothing. And it's why marriage is in the divorce because there's no dedication because they're just one more dating person down the road. Hmm. So what causes fights and quarrels among you is because the pleasures that God intends for us are abused and misused in an ungodly way. People say all the time, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. A lie. What happens in Vegas is seen by God Almighty. He sees all. He knows all. He takes notes of all. And you may think you get by with it here on earth, but guess what? You did not get by with it in the heavenlies because God Took note the whole time. See, what causes fights and quarrels? Desire to have possessions, desire to feel pleasures. The last one is a desire to be. A desire to be. This has to do with pride and power, prestige and honor and prominence and popularity. Frank Sinatra did a song. Some of you may or may not know. I'm sure Elvis did it too. I did it my way. I did it my way. We live in the me generation. We live in the me, 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 it's all about me, it's all about I, it's all about number one, oh me, oh my. This is what it's all about. It's all about me, the me generation. I want it, I want it now, and I don't care who I have to step on, who I have to hurt to get what I want, it's about me. It's interesting that if this is correct, if this is right, if it's all about me, then shouldn't our culture be a lot more healthier than what it actually is? If it's all about me, and everybody's just out for number one, wouldn't if that's really the answer, wouldn't our, our world be a lot more peaceful, a lot more in harmony, a lot more in love? But do you see, when we make it about us, we make it about me, we actually negate what God said when God said... For God's so of the world, He didn't say, "I get to keep my son." He said, "For God's soul of the world, that He what gave. He gave. He didn't make it about Him. He made it about us." And in our world today, you see this happen all around the world. Countries fight against countries because of pride and power. One thinks they're bigger than the other, so they'll dominate and try to take over. We're seeing that happen in Ukraine right now. Vladimir Putin thinks he's stronger, and he can stomp out the, young, the little smaller country. Why? Because of pride and because of power, the desire to be. Pride is at the root of all this desire to be. How do we defeat pride? How do we get rid of pride? Well, the reason why we don't have things is because... Can I say this? It goes on to say in verse uh, 2 and 3 it says, You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Selfish, selfishness. Understand this God declares war on our selfishness. As human beings, we are selfish, selfish, selfish people. Think about it. A baby. Only wants what a baby wants. And the baby does not care who they have. how, many times, how loud they have to scream or how many times they gotta wake you up. or how, They're not considerate at all of your time, are they? No. Why? They want what they want, and they are gonna get your attention to get what they want. And so therefore, what do we have to do? First off, we don't have things in life. We don't, we don't find fulfillment in life, number one, because we don't ask God. First thing is we don't ask God we don't pray. We don't seek God before we go buy a car. We don't seek God before we go buy an outfit. You say, well, wait a minute, Kevin, you're getting just religiously ridiculous. Pray before you go buy an outfit. Let me ask you a question. If you had to put that outfit on a charge card, I would tell you, you need to pray about seeing if God could provide another way so that that thing's not wore out before you get to pay it off. Because you know why? The desire to have, desire to feel, and desire to be, if it ever conflicts with what God's word says it's wrong. It's wrong. And the Bible says, the Bible says you do not have, you have not because you ask not. That doesn't mean everything you ask for you're going to get either. He's not a Santa Claus up there just fulfilling your wish list. It has to line up with his word. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, my God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory. God owns it all. He can provide where he wants, but we don't ask God enough. We don't ask him. We don't ask God We don't ask God when we get in a fight with our spouse. We don't ask God, God, where am I wrong in this? We don't ask God when we get in a fight with our kids, God, where am I wrong in this? Or where have I said something wrong that I need to apologize for? We don't ask God to help us and direct us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is those things that we ask, they conflict with God's desire, and therefore he can't do it. He cannot do what conflicts with his desire. We don't ask Therefore, it conflicts. So what's the cure? I'm going to give you the four steps to being cured. Four steps to being cured. Uh, the first and foremost step, first and foremost step overall, overreaching. If pride causes arguments, then the only way that we avoid arguments is through humility. It's the only way we avoid arguments is through humility. Humbly admitting we need help, humbly asking God for help, we need him to give us humility in our life. Uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 6 and 10. It says, God gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the what? To the humble, to the humble. If you walk in humility, God's favor is shown out to you. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor to us. We do not deserve it, We cannot earn it. We cannot work for it. We can't live good enough. The grace of God is greater than anything else in this world. And because of that grace, God's power changes us because of his amazing, uh, sustainable, everlasting grace. So how do we find humility and discover God's grace? Four steps. The first one is we're going to give in to God. We're going to surrender to God. Here, verse 7 says, submit yourself to God. Submit, surrender yourself to God. Think about it. If you would surrender yourself to God, if you would submit yourself to your spouse, if you would submit yourself to your husband, submit yourself to your wife, submit yourself to your kids, kids, submit to your parents, if we would have a humility to submit, that would avoid a lot of contention. Right, parents? Right? Everybody here, think about it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? is because your pride stands in the way against someone else's pride. And instead, humbly submit to who God is. Real conflict always starts on the inside of us. And that's where God needs to change us. It says, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. If you don't have peace today in your relationships, if you don't have peace today in your life, it's probably because you are not submitting to, to God. Give in to God. Submit to him, and he will allow you to find his peace. The second thought is this. Get wise to Satan. Get wise to Satan. The Bible says that there's very enemy of our soul. His name is Satan. He hates you. He's disgusted by you. You said, what did I ever do to deserve his hate? You know what you did? You were created in God's image, and he was not. You are a creation of God, You are the one that God designed to find hope and salvation. And because of that, you have an eternal hope of heaven. Satan doesn't have that. Satan's eternity is gonna be in a fiery place called hell. That's where he's gonna spend all the days of his life. But as Christians, we have the opportunity, if we submit to God, we surrender to God, we have this great hope, a blessed hope of heaven. Everlasting, living at peace with God in his presence. Satan hates you. So therefore, he's always trying to discourage you, deter you. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee from you, James 4, 7. Resist him. The devil is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your, your family. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your, your marriage. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your church, he wants to destroy your pastor, he wants to destroy anything and everything you hold dear. You call it, whatever it is you love, Satan wants to destroy it, unless that thing distracts you from God and then he'll leave it in your place all the rest of your days. Now that is good preaching right there. If you are in a relationship Outside of marriage, that is not glorifying to God. Guess what? God will let you stay in that relate. or Satan will let you stay in that relationship. He won't even mess with it because he's already won the battle. You're already distracted. He doesn't have to do nothing. If you're in debt up to your eyeballs and you can't see how to get out, and you don't tithe and you don't honor God with your resources because, well, I'm in debt to my eyeballs. I never can do it. You know what? Satan will be like, Yeah, go ahead enjoy your stuff don't honor god with it because guess what he's smarter than you keeps you trapped keeps you paralyzed right where you're at second chronicles 2 11 says in order that satan might not outwit us we are not unaware of his schemes i wish that was true Sadly though, I think a lot of us are unaware of what Satan is really doing, deceiving us, lying to us, destroying things around us. We just don't get it. How does the devil operate? Uh, He operates through subtle moves. He's not real glaring, he's not real obvious, it's just little subtle moves. I've watched many times people who were fired up for Jesus and on fire for Christ and they were walking with Christ and I've watched them subtly Fade, slowly fade away. Fade into the gray. Fade into where there's no conviction, there's no challenge. Because why? They just are okay with where they're at, and Satan's okay with where they're at. Scripture. How do we how do we risk, resist the devil? We memorize scripture. We plant it deep in our heart. We ask him to help us. We give in to God. We get wise to Satan. Number three, we grow closer to God. How do we grow closer to God? We grow close to God just being very practical. This is so elementary, so practical. How do we grow close to God? question always is, how do I get close to God? I have people ask me many times, how do we get close to God? I say, okay, first off, do you pray? Well, you know, I think about God. No, 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 do you pray? Do you literally sit down and say, God, I just, I need your help. I mean, do you have a do you have a, a, a place on the side of your bed? Some may have a place that they kneel beside their bed. Some may have a, a special spot they like to go to and park and they get in their car and they just they just focus on God and they just pray. So every first thing, grow how do you grow closer to God? You pray, you you cry out to God, you you get a relationship with Him. As I have a relationship with God, I move inside of my relationship with God in a very fluid way. It's not segmented. Like literally, I can be talking to you and within a minute later, I could be talking with God in a very casual way because I have a relationship with him through prayer. So the first thing is prayer. Second thing is, you gotta read his Bible. You gotta read his word. You gotta read what his word says to you. The only way you know how to resist the devil, you gotta know how he tricks us, how he lies to us. How do you know it? Through God's word. Third thing is, you gotta get to church. Now I know we live in a very uh, online society and I get it everybody's got online churches and we even have online services as well and they're awesome and in, in a pinch and a pickle but nothing in in my life nothing substitutes being right here with you guys this is my family this is my crew right here you guys you're it so when I go through struggles I'm coming to you and I'm saying hey Man, I got hit this week. This is really hard on I me. Mean, can you pray with me? Or can you just remember when you pray? This is the family right here. So you've got to be here. You've got to show up to grow up. Hmm. Thank you, Linda. I appreciate that. You've got to show up. Now, some of you say, well, my schedule's busy. You know, I get it. I get it. There's all those things. But I'm just saying, how do you grow? You pray. You read God's word. You show up. And you get involved with the community and you watch God grow. When we have view groups coming up in October, view groups are small groups of people that meet throughout the community at different homes, mixed ages from from 18, some of them are just out of high school all the way up to 80, mixed houses all around. And uh, they get together. You know what's cool about them? They just show up and they just say, hey, here's where I'm at. Can you pray with me? Can you help us? Here's what's going on. Many people don't get in to grow up because they just want the insurance of not going to hell. I'm here to tell you, you never have to worry about going to hell if you're praying, you're reading God's word, and you're showing up and you're growing up here across you because you know your security lies in him. Here's what Isaiah 26 verse three says, he will keep you in his perfect peace, all those who trust in him, Whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. So, what do we do? We give in to God. We get wise to Satan's plans. We get closer to God. And the last thing is this this is a big one. Remember how to avoid arguments. Here it is Be willing to ask for forgiveness. Ay, 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 ay. Come on. Pastor Kevin, you couldn't let us go at number three. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. This one really stung. Because it takes a lot of humility to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. I apologize. Man, that takes a lot. Doesn't it? But there's times in life that that in order for us to get past the the confusion, to get past the hurt, we have to ask for forgiveness. First off, we have to ask for forgiveness from God. That's the first thing. It says, uh, Verse eight says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded people. He's saying, listen, the first and foremost step is you have to come to me and ask for forgiveness. Verse 9, it says, Let there be tears, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. What's he saying? He's saying, Listen, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. And when you're humbled under God's mighty hand and you ask Him for forgiveness, let me tell you something. It's never easy, but it's always life changing when we humble ourselves and ask God to forgive us and when we say it's not about me, it's about you, God, and it's about your people, God. So here I am. I don't want to be self-centered. I don't want to be self-absorbed. So first, we humble ourselves before God and we ask Him to forgive us. And then secondly, can I just say this? Secondly, you might have to have a conversation with somebody you argued with or you you had a a disagreement with, a passion discussion, and you might have to just come and say, listen, I'm sorry, I reacted that way. That was not right. Can you forgive me? You might have to go and say, I was wrong. Let's just practice that out loud today. Let's just practice, I was wrong. Can we just say those three words? Here we go, ready? One, two, three, I was wrong. Really easy to say because you're saying it to me, but imagine saying to somebody that you hurt, somebody that you did wrong to. How do we avoid arguments? We avoid arguments because we humble ourselves and we're, not, we're always willing to do and apologize for whatever we did wrong. Philippians chapter two, verse three and five says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why? because this causes arguments around us. This causes the, the, uh, the things that we're talking about. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but, to the, but to each of you to the interest of others. Desire to have, desire to feel, desire to be can only be defeated with humility. Humility, giving in to God, know how Satan works, Surrender to God. And finally, apologize and ask for forgiveness. Father, help us today. Help us today to be changed, to avoid arguments that come so easy. God, what causes fights and quarrels among us? Don't they come from conflicting desires inside of us? Yes. Those desires to have to please me, they don't do it my way. That's the way I would do it. That's how I would treat them. That's where I would go. That's what I would do. God, it's not about me. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And we say, Father, here I am. I humble myself. I first off ask you to forgive me. And secondly, God, I go and I ask for forgiveness to those I've wronged, God. If I know I've wronged them, if I know I have, then I go and I ask for forgiveness. So, Lord, I pray. Right now in this place, teach us how to avoid arguments. Teach us how to be better, be better Christ followers. Teach us how to be a shining example of what you've created us to be. We need you, God, to fill us with your presence, to rest on us, to guide and direct us, Spirit of God. Would you just move upon us right now? God, let us consider our own relationships around us and those we need to ask for forgiveness. Healing
0: As the Spirit was moving over the water, spirit come. Away.
1: we need to avoid arguments as the Holy Spirit, guiding and directing our tongues, our lives, our minds, and our actions. So Lord, may you just go with us today. Help us to know that these desires that we have can be from you, but God, sometimes they're conflicting because we're trying to feed them and please them in ways not honoring to you. So Lord, would you just guide and direct our steps today. Help us to learn how to surrender to you. Help us to learn to see the, the what Satan tries to do. And most importantly, God, ask for forgiveness when need, we need to be. May we ask for forgiveness from you, from those around us, God. May you go with us right now. Thank you so much for your spirit of God going with us and being with us. Guide and direct our steps. I pray for families over cross across you, God, that you would strengthen them. You would encourage them and you would let them know that, God, no matter what life holds, you're the holder of life. You have all in your hands. So, God, I pray a blessing Upon your people here today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.
0: You've been listening to a ministry of Crossview Church in Keokuk, Iowa, with Pastor Kevin Hardcastle. For more information about service times and activities, visit our website, crossviewkeokuk.com.